Thomas David, of course, is actually praying more than writing, as he says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrows have found a, found a house swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now you might want to do something here, because these verses had confused me until I read from the original, and in translation things do get mixed up. It doesn't change the meaning at all, it just more or less keeps it in line. And uh, reach up with me to the second verse, my soul longeth. Yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. On down in the third verse, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And then on up to the beginning of the first verse, yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are always are, are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, our God, our, O God, our shield, Look upon the face of thine anointed, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Heavenly Father, again, as we stand behind your sacred desk, we are privileged, and we count it that as well as a duty. Fathers, we stand here again, the awesome responsibility we are reminded of, and we accept that. And we pray that we do no despite to you and to your word. We only want to upbuild the kingdom and cause of Christ. We want to turn eyes to you and what you have to say, and we want to receive the challenge that comes directly from you and from the throne of grace. Give us ears, Father, to be able to hear, hearts to be able to receive, souls that long and pant after thee and desire.
these are thee, Father, one of mine, just to serve you. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was challenged by that because it presented a view of something that I don't feel like in the world today that there's enough on. If I was going to have a title for this message, I would just simply call it Longing for the House of God. While we're just more or less going over some of the things that's been said, we need to ask ourselves, and I've had to, and I ask you to do that tonight, that there should always be a longing for the house of God in our life. We should always desire it and what God furnishes in it more than anything else in our life. I might say if the church of the living God ever attains to that one more time, and I'm talking about churches worldwide, then I think we're going to see the things that we, our heart has desired and we have prayed for. In viewing when David wrote this, you'll have to understand where he was and what had happened to him and why he wrote it. The psalmist at this time was banished from his capital, banished from the tabernacle of the Most High by the rebellion of his own son Absalom. When you read after this, you'll find that this exile of his was one, one of the most painful experiences in his life. And that's quite something when you can say that because the psalmist David had a lot of ups and downs in his life. And he had a lot of painful experiences in his life. But this is one of the most painful ones, one of the first, most painful that he ever experienced in his life. When you read when he left the city, you have to go back into Second Samuel, and you mark that down, the 15th chapter. And when you read that portion of the scripture, you'll find when he left the city, his sorrow is reported by these words. He went up for the ascent of Olivet. He wept as he went up and had his head covered, and he went barefoot. Now, somewhere, somehow, to understand this and what a pathetic sight this was to behold, we're more or less going to have to transfer our thinking to where David was, what he had been and the glory he had and the power he had, and some way walk that fateful path that day with him and recognize what had happened. This was a king of old age. He was driven from the city that he had made popular and he had made famous. And it would have been bad enough had he been driven from that city by his enemies, people that he did not know, but he was driven from that city, banned from his tabernacle and worship place by his own son that he loved. His home for a lot of years, this was a place of his power. This was a place of his glory. And this was a place of his happiness. And when I looked at that and watched that man and walked along beside him as he was leaving Jerusalem, his capital, the tabernacle where he'd worshipped, had all the power and watched his family, had his ups and downs and still found God a reality, I watched him as he was leaving there and I noticed that this great soul did not cry for what most people would cry for. He wasn't sorry that he was leaving for the reasons most people would imagine that he was sorry.
are you about? He did not sorrow over and cry because of the power that he was losing. He was not in sorrow because of the glory that he was losing. He always had pomp and glory, and everybody noticed David from the time he slew the giant. Everybody gave him honor and gave him glory. And when he became king and united the kingdom, risen to his heights of glory. And he wasn't crying when he left and walking barefoot when he left because of the sorrow of his kingdom, as great as it was, nor the riches that he was leaving behind. You'll notice that great man with his greatest streak arose, and we just read it to you from the fact that he was thundered from the worship of the house of God, that the worship of the house of God had been denied him. And his most ardent desire always was the house of God. And what he wanted more than anything else in his exile was to return to the enjoyment and the privileges that the house of God afforded him. And because of that, we have these words from his lips. Now remember, he's in exile. He can't get to the tabernacle or the church as it were that day. He was an exiled king. And what does he cry for? What is his heart burdened down about? He misses church. He misses the people. He misses the worship. He does not miss his power so much. He does not miss his glory. He does not miss his riches, but his soul is sorrowful because he is banished from place where he worships. I just stand there for a few minutes and I wonder, if our hearts are ever touched with that ardent desire. I wondered with the privileges that the majority of the world has, church on, on every corner, lights sometimes light every church almost every day in the week. Individuals are asked and sometimes even begged and programmed are presented to them just to entice them to come to the house of God. And yet the house of God seems to lie empty. I had to compare the church of God today and individuals, maybe we are involved in it. I can't decide for your life. I only can say that I was challenged. I only can say that something turned over in my spirit, that I, at the time I was noticing this, began to reminisce in my life. And I had to ask myself the question, am I like David? Would I be sundered from the house of God? Would I want to return to it? And would my soul cry for it? And then I had to look at us, most of us, as we are today. I had to realize that opportunity after opportunity passes us by. There seems to be hardly any regret in our heart and in our life that we have missed an opportunity one more time to enter into God's house under the inspiration and power of God with the glorious privilege of worshiping him. I had to look at David and I had to sit there by him. I had to walk up that road barefoot with him and I had to listen to his heart cry as these things were pinned. He said, I want you, my chief musician, I want you to write this down for future references for people of all generations. I want them to know how my heart felt about the assembling of the Lord Jesus, or with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted individuals to know how I felt 
when I was denied a privilege to the place where my only happiness was at. And when I realized that, I thought, God, are we happiest in your house? Our greatest achievements and our most ardent desires, is it actually to be in the house of God? These are questions. This is a challenge that God issued to me that I'm uh, returning to you. And ask yourself the question, is be as honest as you can, and yet be challenged by the Lord. And the psalmist David penned these words. He said, how amiable are your tabernacles. In other words, how lovable is the house of God. How friendly, amiable means friendly. How friendly is your tabernacle. How refreshing is your tabernacle. How welcome it would be if I could just open the doors and enter in and worship you and rub shoulders with your people and hear the singers sing and the choir sing and the angels rejoicing with us. What a wonderful, refreshing and welcome thing that would be. But I am alienated. I don't have my kingdom. I don't have my riches. I don't have my glory. But these things don't bother me. I just don't have my church. Are you with me? And the psalmist David is saying something to us. It was dear to him. I think he says it again in Psalms 26 and 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house, the place where thine honor dwelleth. I have loved it, he said. And David's whole desire, if you'll notice in 23 and 6, his whole desire was that he should dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have to stand and compare myself. And I don't like what I see. I think maybe you ought to stand and compare yourself uh, with the soul that David had. And see if you like what you see. And see if you like how you feel in comparison to a man after God's own heart, which David was. When you look at all of David's faith, when you look at his downfall, when you look at all the sins that he had committed and, and some of them the worst in the world, and you still hear God say, David is a man after my own heart. Why does he say that? Because David wants to be where God is. David wants to go where God presented himself. David wanted to be in the house of God at all times. And now he wasn't afforded that privilege. I wondered sometimes, Foreign countries have had their doors locked. I wondered sometimes if it should ever happen to the United States of America, how many individuals that never took the opportunity that was presented to them to be in the house of God, how many would cry then because it was not available to them? And how many of us would ask, Oh, God, the time wasted in my life where I could have sought you and found you in your house, and I did not utilize the time. I think every soul that knows God should love the house of God and delight in his worship. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God ordained that there be a place. I don't say that you can't find him any place else, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but there's something that God's house furnishes that you can't find any place else. And we ought to recognize that, and we ought to love God for that, and we ought to delight in God's worship. You know, our service 
It's what we make it, not what somebody else makes it for us. Amen? And a lot of us have got ideas that this ought to be and that ought to be and something else ought to be and because it's not them, I, I don't know that I can get into it, but a service is what we make it. When I walk into that door, what this house becomes is what I make it. What God is to me is what I am to Him. And what you get out of a service is what you want to get out of the service and what you want to put in the service. I've never been to a bad service yet. Amen? I've been to a lot of them. Some seem better than others, but I have always purposed every time I walk into the house of God, whether I do nothing but occupy a seat, I'm going to get something from God's house, and I'm going to put something in God's house. If it's nothing but praise and worship and prayer and intercession for the speaker or somebody else is testifying, or attention, or listening to somebody with a victory report like Sister Judy had and some of the other testimonies, some good things from God. And friends, you can't find that out in the world. You can't find that where any, any ever place you go. And David recognized that. And he's writing to us. I firmly believe that he talked to me in that chapter uh, hundreds of years old. It, it become alive. It came out of the pages. It jumped up at me and pointed his finger in my face and said, Do you feel like David feels? I have to answer that, and you do too. And I had to answer it as truthfully as I know how, and I said, no, not all the time I don't. Not all the time I don't. If flesh had its way, it would sit down, prop its feet up in an easy chair, turn on the idiot tube and sit there and watch it. If flesh had its way, but flesh should not have its way. The spirit inside is longing for a fellowship with God and with God's people. And we'll die if we don't have it. We have to have communion with not only God, but with, with God's people. David had his reason for the love of house of God, and we ought to have ours. Now, a lot of us maybe don't even know for sure why we go to church. I know a lot of people don't, and I can't answer for you tonight, but it would we could get so much out of it if we really realized why we want, when. Some people go because they feel like it, it's a demand for them, and it is. God tells us to assemble ourselves together and even the more so as you see the day approaching. It is a commandment. But just to go to church because God demanded it of you is a pretty poor thing. A lot of people go to church because it's a social place. It, it, it's expected of them. Others go to church because if they don't, the preacher liable to get on them because they don't go. And all of that are some of the saints liable to ask them what was wrong with them. And so they go to church. And all the time they're at church, they're wondering what they're doing here. Now let me say this. If that's the attitude you come to church in, you just as well not be here. You need to find out, first off, why are you in the house of God? A lot of people don't know. But the psalmist David loved the house of God for four reasons and longed. You know, he pined, he longed, his soul panted. It wasn't just a little old thing that said, oh, I just love to be in church tonight. It wasn't that there was a deep-seated desire way down inside, a disturbing thing, a crying thing. But David wasn't at peace with himself, uh, and, he, uh, and he shouts that out in this. How friendly is your church, God? And I'm going to call it a church. How friendly is it? My soul longeth, even faineth. He said, 
I'm faint inside. Something's bothering me desperately because I'm not in the house of God. There's something inside that I'm missing. And David loved it because it was a place of fellowship. Hallelujah. You don't have to have a hundred or a thousand people to fellowship. Amen. It's a place where saints of like precious faith come and share their experiences. Hallelujah. And you ought never be ashamed to share your experience that you've had over the week with somebody in the house of God. Stand up in your testimony or wherever you're at and share your experiences. Somebody somewhere can get some good out of what has happened to you. There'll be a strength inside that comes from what the devil has already told you that uh, that is a frivolous thing. It really don't amount to anything. It'll sound silly. Why don't you keep it to yourself? He likes that. And he gets his way a lot of times. But the place, this place, this church, this is where God has chosen for us to meet together. We can find God wherever we want to. But he's chosen the place, the church, a gathering together for our saints to come together and share their experiences and to share their joys. You had a happy time. You had a good time. Somebody needs to know. Amen. I mean, you can at least look out and say, well, at least somebody had a good day. <laughs> I mean, even if we didn't have, you'll still know that God is still on the end of giving joy. And then it's a place where people know. If you're not, you should know that you can share your sorrows with those individuals. I mean, if you've had a time of sorrow in your life, a time of trouble in your life, you, the devil says keep your mouth shut, but that's a time of sharing. Tell what has happened. Tell why your heart is sorrowful. Tell why your spirit is down. And let people know that so that they can lift you up and motivate you into the presence of God. So they'll know your experience and where you're at. And it's a place where united prayer is made. Hallelujah. It's a place where praise and adoration have mixed from our lips. It's abandoned together. We're not praising God for ourselves out there. There's 15 or 20 of us here. And in other places, there's thousands that have their hands and voices lifted up and join the chorus of angels and the seraphims and cherubim as they gather around the throne and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And we join our voices with that angelic host. It's a place where we can get together and do it. And that's where we voice our aspirations. I just heard an aspiration uh, a while ago. My, my, our desires, uh, Sister Judy says, hey, within a year we'll be out of debt. That's a desire. That's a goal. And that's something I like to share with individuals. That's something that we need to share with, with one another. Because after all, we are the body of Christ and we voice these things as the body. In other words, when she speaks concerning that, she's speaking and telling the body of Christ, hey, look, it doesn't make any difference how many times you stumble or fall or how much your foolishness causes these things. God is still there ready to bail you out. But we have to recognize that we have need of bailing out. Amen. We have to recognize we're drowning before we can lift up our hand and say, I'm drowning. Somebody come and save me. And a lot of people drown and don't even know they're drowning. No call for help. But it's a place there where all of these things are voiced together as a body to the eternal God. And we've got to believe that He is present. 
see him. Well, then I know that he said, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. That's all I've got to go by. But isn't that enough? If his word is not true there, then his word is not true anyplace else, and I'm not even saved. If Jesus hadn't rose again, I, I'm, I, I don't even have a chance for eternal life. So we're basing it upon one word that God said he was going to be there. But the church is a place where we not only commune with God, but we commune with one another. And you see, that's what David was missing. Uh, he, he, had a, he had a time with God. He could get alone with God. I mean, you never get separated from God. Wherever you're at, he's always there. But David missed the communion with God's people. Tabernacle. The singing. The rejoicing. The tears. The sorrows. And oh, the reading of the scrolls. And the admonishments and all of that. He missed that. And his soul longed for He was even faint sometimes. Uh, for the courts of the Lord. And his heart, he said, and my flesh cries out. I thought, God, something inside of me needs to be changed. I've got to recognize after 30 some odd years of being to the house of God, I've got to recognize some way or somehow what a wonderful privilege it, it is. And I've got to stand with David. And when I miss a chance to be there, I've got to say something inside my soul, turn over. Turn over. Chastise me. Discipline me. Do something with me, God, but make me miss being at the house of God. You see, according to God's great plan, it is literally impossible for an individual to receive all God has got for him sitting at home by themselves. Somebody said, well, uh, salvation's an individual thing. Salvation is being saved. You've got to repent. But then God places you in the body as it has pleased Him. And you know I know more by yourself. You become a part of a body someplace, somewhere. And because you do, you need that body. It's just that simple. You need it. In other words, God has placed you, representative body here. That's not saying whether you're the only body of Christ, but I'm talking representative body of Christ here. Placed you together by his unfathomless mercy and foreknowledge. I don't understand why he does, but he placed you together, and he's actually said you need one another. Actually, what he's saying is you really can't exist and be what I want you to be without one another. And the quicker we learn that divine lesson, the better off we are going to be. So David found the, the tabernacle or the house of God. He found that as a place of fellowship. He not only uh, fellowshiped with the Lord and worshiped the Lord, but he fellowshiped with those that were like precious things. Those under him, those uh, that, that uh, was in his kingdom and all of that. In other words, this is the one place that this king that everybody looked up to brought himself down on the level of everybody else was in the house of God. And don't you know that that's still exactly the same thing that God does today. We might have different places in society. We might have different incomes and all of this. And we might enjoy different things. But the house of God is one place where God brings us all on the same level and says you're all children of the living God. Not one of you is better.